Hi, everyone. I'm attorney Donna DiMaggio Berger, and this is Take It to the Board, where we speak condo and HOA. Kevin Van Middlesworth is the founder and CEO of Platinum Group Security. After working at his grandfather's New Jersey-based security company, Kevin moved to Florida to pursue a degree in criminal justice at Florida Atlantic University. Kevin founded Platinum Group Security in 1996. While he initially provided personal protection service to celebrities and diplomats, and we'll talk more about that later in the podcast, Platinum soon started providing security services to community associations. We also have with us today Phil Huber, who is the Vice President of Client Services at Platinum Group Security. Phil Huber's law enforcement career began in 1968 when he joined the Baltimore County Police Department as an 18-year-old cadet. He rose through the ranks from cadet to become deputy police commissioner in 1986. Phil was responsible for the Baltimore County Police Department, becoming the second law enforcement agency in the country to receive national accreditation. Phil's work also included participating in the fear of crime studies, which were used to develop the current model used in nationwide policing known as community policing. In 1990, Phil was offered and accepted the position as police chief for the city of Miami Beach. Chief Huber has been with Platinum since 2012. Kevin and Phil, welcome to Take It to the Board. Thank you for having us. I'm so excited to have you here because I get asked questions about security services all the time with my community associations. And one of the questions I want to start out with is what should board members and their managers consider when they're trying to evaluate the security needs of their community? Well, I think there's an awful lot you need to do. You need to canvas other communities to see who they are using, visit those sites, Don't make a decision solely on price, but make sure that you know about the company. I prefer a boutique company, one that's local, that can deal with the community's needs and is very responsive. That's that's the key. And really, the people that you talk to, you want to find out how long they've been with the company. If they keep moving on, the people that you struck the deal with, the people that you've made the business decision to work with, are gone in six months, then you have no continuity with the management of the, of the organization. And so that's really critical. And make sure you do your due diligence. Don't just listen to the sales pitch. Visit client sites that your prospective security company provides service for. Well, Phil, you've jumped right into choosing a security company. Let's take a step back. You know, a lot of boards don't even know whether or not they need security. So how would a board figure out, do we need security at all in this particular community? It depends if it's a gated community or an ungated community. And and I've had a lot of done a lot of work with the fear of crime. Right now, the crime rate in the United States is at its highest level it's been in a long time. People are making life decisions now, moving, purchasing firearms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They watch the news and they're scared to death. And the fear of crime is actually more disabling than actual crime. You can't respond to that. You have to do your due diligence. So Make sure that you don't make the wrong decision for the wrong reason. And you need to make sure that when you make a decision to move, you buy the right benefit cost. Make sure that you get the most bang for the buck. You don't want the cheapest, but you need security. Any cluster community, I used to live in the country. There were 15 homes within 15 miles. There was no crime. The only crime there is if a cow got out. <laughs> uh, now we're condensed. We're dense. In, yeah. Into neighborhoods, all of which are in transition. There is no 
unique neighborhood. People are are running to gated communities, high-rise communities, etc., to isolate themselves from the general public. But they still have to go out in the general public when they go to work, when they go out to dinner, take their kids to school, etc. You still have those opportunities for things to happen. Well, I also imagine, because you mentioned the country, I'm sure you only had 15 neighbors, but you knew all of them. You know, we're sitting in, I'm sitting in Florida talking to you. We do have a lot of transiency in our communities. So you may be in a high rise, you may have been in a high rise for years, but you don't necessarily know all of your neighbors. And that's true in homeowners associations as well. Absolutely. Condominiums are, how do I explain this? The only (laughs) time they see their neighbors is when they're in an elevator. Or at the pool. pool. And they really don't socialize that much at the pool. They cluster. Like if you went to a, a country club and you didn't know anybody, you stay within your group. And I've seen this. It's it's a unique relationship. Gated communities with a country club. If you have to belong to the country club, you're kind of forced to participate in dinners, theater, golf, etc. So there are things clustered uh, there. And that's really where they stay. We used to have a lot of snowbirds in Florida and we still do. But COVID changed that. Most of the people that lived in Pennsylvania and came here in the summer came here and stayed. They'd rather stay here around the clock than move. So even though all the pools were closed and even the tennis all courts the pools were closed, <laughs> it still was warm. Yeah, exactly. You weren't snowbound. Florida's always had that that going for them. But people respond to what they hear on the news, depending on the news that you listen to. And I don't mean CNN or Fox, etc. If all you're hearing is bad news and you're hearing about shootings in New York and shootings here and shootings there, your behavior changes and you start to actually cabin up. You don't go out. And when you do go out, you go out, mission, grocery shop, and come home. Well, Phil, we've had a heck of a two years. I mean, we've had a pandemic. We've had civil unrest. We've had a lot going on that can make people feel either depressed or anxious about their security. I agree. But they're, they're looking at the wrong security. It's a national security thing, and they're looking at their local security. If I'm building a security neighborhood, I'm a contractor. I want to build the homes individual. I want to have a wall around the property, and not only the part that you see, the back part of the property, etc. I want to make sure that it's not trespass proof, but trespass difficult. I want the patrol that I'm going to have in there, in there. I want quality cameras, not the cheapest cameras that I could possibly get. I want to make sure that my access to the property is gated properly and not just for cars, but for civilians that walk on or residents that go for a walk outside and come back. That has to be gated to it's called access control. Then they feel secure. And if somebody is checking them at the gate or they have a rover, that's a secure community in their mind. There is no such an animal as a totally secure community. Right. You've touched on so many issues I want to I want to dig into because, you know, even dealing with my clients, uh, I'll take a typical homeowners association that is, which is one, as you described, it has a full perimeter wall. It has a manned security gate. But we still had a, a ring in this particular community of car break-ins. They weren't really even break-ins. And I'll tell you why, because all the owners left their cars open. Unlocked. Right? Unlocked. Or they leave their garage doors open. I think there's always this, this sense that we've got to keep the outside from coming in, which certainly the outside does present risks. But what about the fact this in this community, we found out that it was teenagers who lived in the community who were roaming around at night and they were just, you know, easy, you know, opportunity. What do you call it? Primes of opportunity. Yeah. They would go into 
the, the cars and then they would take out whatever money was in their phones and sunglasses. One of the things I wanted to ask is, how important is it to establish a relationship with the residents and the board? You know, they want the security company to solve everything, I imagine. But isn't there some responsibility on the residents' part? It is, and it's called education. Everybody thinks that when they're in a gated community, that there's a cone of silence over over the property. We're just, oh, we're so safe. There could be a bad guy that lives in there yet. We do a crime prevention seminar, and we offer it once a quarter where we teach people how to make themselves less vulnerable to crime when they're off property and on property. And one of the things we tell them is lock your car. Don't leave anything visible in your car. And if you do, half the time it's going to be somebody that walks on or gets on property and is going around checking doorknobs and takes what you have, or somebody's teenager, friends that are staying with them, walk around and take it. And their communication system is a lot better than ours. So if you steal something because people aren't locking their cars, you tell everybody at high school about it, and that's where they go to steal stuff. We had a weapons weapons stolen from an unlocked car. That's just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous that someone would leave a weapon in an unlocked car. So we check cars. Well, that person better look at their insurance policy because yeah. guns guns are strict liability. So that that becomes a real issue for that particular their owner. Policy. You have a criminal liability if you have a handgun and a license for it to make sure that it's safe. You'd be surprised how many people leave their car doors open and their garage doors open. So a lot of times when we have our rovers, they'll go around and tell people to close their garage doors. But for the most part, almost all the stuff we hear getting stolen on properties, majority or 90 percent of the time is a person left the doors open. Yeah. So why do you think so, Kevin, why do you think that is you've been in this industry so long? Is it a false sense of security that it's, yeah, it's mean, weird because at the same time, they don't all know all their neighbors. Yeah, so in a large homeowner association, you don't know everybody. But at the uh, by the same token, they're assuming that the that crime's not going to happen if they leave their house or their, their car unlocked or the garage door open. Yeah, I guess it's just being comfortable. I and mean, listen, I do it at my own house sometimes because I think, hey, hey nobody's going to come to my house. How dare them? But, <laughs> Um, well, if they saw you, they would. Yeah. You can get comfortable sometimes. And, you know, I've done it myself. But you you always got to stay on guard. You got to expect the unexpected. You don't know what can happen any day at a time when something's going to strike. So I'm very relaxed and I leave my doors open sometimes. My wife is a complete opposite. But it's surprising. I guess people have a false sense of security after they live somewhere for a long time. And then it's that time that you get hit. Yeah. I wonder if it's cultural also, depending on where you're coming from, where you've lived, if you've lived in an urban, you know, a, a large urban area where there may be more crime, maybe you're more prone to locking your cars and your doors as opposed to coming from a, a lower crime area. I mean, Phil, what do you think? I think it is, has a lot to do with it. I think that it's a false sense of security. And we tell them that a regular community without gates, without being a, a homeowners association is if you protect your home and protect your property, you have the law enforcement community patrolling. In a gated community, you have another layer of security, etc. So they fall into that trap quickly that, oh, nothing's going to happen here. So we try, to, we try to get across to them that bad guys are on the hunt and you don't want to be a victim. And if you let your guard down, you increase your probability of being victimized. And leaving stuff, a computer, a cell phone in your car and the door's unlocked, you're going to be a victim eventually. That's why we recommend that gated communities subsidize the people that don't have rings because they're cheap as part of their management fees. 
and put them everywhere. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting idea. That's a good takeaway for me. You'll find out who's stealing. And nine times out of 10, it's a friend of a kid that lives in the neighborhood. How effective are barriers to entry like guard gates and walls? They're very effective. We were fortunate enough years ago to arrest a dinner set gang. And it was a group of people that broke in while you were at dinner. While you were at dinner in your home, they were that good and that quiet. We asked them why they chose that, because you're you're occupied. Your attention is drawn to the family. Wait, are you saying people were at home eating dinner and the thieves were elsewhere in their home? In their house, yes. And got out without alerting the family. Wow. What I was leading to is whenever we get a, a community as a new contract, I go to the police department, make contact with the police chief, and tell him that we've got this and we only call you when we need your help. We won't bother you for secondhand stuff. We'll have a coffee pot at the guardhouse for your night shift officers and a place for them to write a report, etc. So we're building that relationship with that community and that law enforcement team. And they really use it and love it. They have a place to get out of that car for five minutes, stretch their legs. There's a clean bathroom in the gatehouse, place to write their report on a cup of coffee and someone to talk to. It's good for our guys, too. Keeps them awake, alert. They never know when they're coming. It's helpful to do that, to make sure that you build a relationship with law enforcement, to make sure that they're responding. Let me give you a typical scenario. So we have a a community, an HOA, large HOA, let's say. It's completely surrounded by a six-foot stucco wall. You've got one entrance in and out of this community with a guard gate. No roving patrols, though. What's to prevent, you know, somebody, the guards occupied here, just like you said with this this dinner gang, the guards here with access control in and out. But these walls are scalable. What do you Absolutely. say to that? I mean, we've seen that in some, in some of my communities where you've got, you know, and it's mostly younger people because maybe they're more agile and they're getting over. In some of my communities, they're not getting in to commit crimes. They may be fishing in the lakes or the canals in that community, Mm -hmm. but in other times they are getting in for for purposes of criminal activity. When you're talking about walls, most walls are scalable unless they're barbed wire, and we're not going to have that in our homeowners associations. What do you say to that? There's an inexpensive tool that you can add to that wall if the developer will do it for you, is put in an infrared beam on the inside of the wall. So what does that do? When you jump over the wall, it sets up in zones and says somebody just broke the beam. So you know to send a patrol there. You can't do anything if you don't have a patrol. All you're going to be doing is calling the police. And by the time they respond to that, they're going to be long gone. So you just you just jumped ahead where I want to go. So if you were to do what you just suggested, Phil, what you really need, if you would just have that stationary guard at the guardhouse, that's not going to help. What you yeah. need is the roving patrol. Yeah, absolutely. Also, okay. also, what would be good is like Phil said with the crime prevention class that he does is having the residents be vigilant, looking out. You know, if they see something, alert the security. That's the, the best security you can get. The homeowners, if they're involved and they're looking and they're alerting the police or the security, I mean, that's very helpful. One guard can't patrol. It can only see so much. So everybody should have their eyes open. That's why when Phil does these classes, it really opens your eyes. We try to schedule that quarterly. So, Kevin, how do you feel about these neighborhood watches, though? Because I am not in favor of homeowners associations forming neighborhood watch. I agree with what you said. You see something, say something, call the guardhouse, call the, the number for the security. But I'm assuming that you advise people not to engage. Definitely not engage. And some people can take it too far. I mean, just having your eyes on something and reporting is one thing, but getting involved is another. There's a different level of how to take it there. So we definitely just report to the security, report to the police, keep your eyes open. You see somebody jump at a fence that doesn't look like they should be there or a wall. 
you know, having a relationship with the community. That's why we, we try to meet with the community once a quarter. We get to know them. They get to know us. There's a warm feeling there. So it just works out a lot easier when everybody's working together. So as an association attorney, when when we are contacted by clients talking about security issues, if something's already happened as a lawyer, I'm going to have the conversation with my client about foreseeability. So liability is tied to foreseeability. You've already had vandalism. You've already had car break-ins, maybe in a house break-in. Now the board knows that there's the potential for future criminal activity. You really need to do something about it. And and my first question really was if a board, what, what should they be thinking about when evaluating their security needs? I assume you agree that if you've had past criminal activity, your needs are heightened in terms of providing security. You're absolutely right. But I think we need to take it a step before that. I don't, I don't want to wait till I have to have a, a crime to respond to it. I want to put together a plan, just like in my own home. I know what I have and what I don't have and where I have it. I, I want to have a plan that's going to make the person that's going to be the bad guy go somewhere else. And that's all I'm worried about at that moment. I can't change society. What I can do is prevent it from happening to me or to my clients. And that's really what we want to do. So you have to have If you're going to have a large gated community and have gates that are manned and nobody roving, you need to respond right away to that alarm, that infrared alarm, not wait for the police to take five minutes, which is a great response time to to that. So they, they jump over the wall, beam alerts the guard, roving patrol goes out there. What does the patrol do? Does the patrol engage? Is the patrol armed? Can be in it. In most cases, it's not. What it can do is detain Contact law enforcement, stay on the phone with the responding officer or with 911, et cetera. It's easy to do. It's not that hard. Most people, it's not like TV, run or fight. They don't. They stop. They don't want to make it worse than jumping over a wall. John Dillinger's not jumping over that wall. You know, you're dealing with mainly teenagers or people that are trying to find cigarettes, change, stuff you left in the car. They're not violent criminals. So, Look, I know one thing, living in a guard-gated community myself, and we don't happen to have roving patrols, here's what I knew, because I was realistic about what exactly that could do in terms of providing security. I knew that nobody could follow me, a, a woman by herself driving in at night, they couldn't follow me into my community. So I knew at least that that was yeah. one aspect of what that wall and what that guard was going to provide. You're absolutely correct. And if somebody ever does follow you into a gated community that you're not sure if they were following you on the road, it's tell them, stop that car behind me and make sure they're legit. Very smart. Let me ask you, what does all this cost? Let's not say the wall, because we're going to get to developers in a second, but we're in a we're in an established community and they want to they want to up their security game. OK, so they've talked to you and they said, you know what, we want to add roving patrols and we like that laser beam idea. What, what are we talking about in terms of cost? Well, I did the entire island of Williams, Williams Island in, in Miami for $86,000 with infrared beams. And it's a large community. Now, it's not an HOA where there's 25, 30 acres that you had to surround. So you take your vulnerable points. These infrared beams stand alone. They cover 660 feet, one beam. You can do directional beams. So if A's trip before B, you know they're coming in. If B's trip before A, they're going out. You can do a lot of things with modern technology. You can have a beam turn a camera on, turn lights on. For roving patrol, let's say a hundred home community, how many is it one person, twelve hour shifts, or how would that typically work? We try to stay away from twelve hour shifts. We try to do eight hour shifts. 
because it's a it's a tough job. Hundred homes is a relatively small gated community, so you're just roving and checking things. At ten o'clock at night, we call everybody with an open garage door and remind them that their garage door is open. So you do all this kind. You do parking complaints. You keep the officer alert and busy by doing all the things. We do code enforcement for the communities. We lock all the common area buildings and unlock them in the in the AM. But you keep a watch on people's private property. You can't cut corners, you know. If you cut corners, then you're going to get what you expect. So I think that you have to have an open mind with security, and there's, there's really no way to cut security in, in that way. That happens a lot with post-transition boards. When, when the associations are controlled by the unit owners, they may take a, a more conservative approach when it comes to what do we want to spend, particularly if we're not having a problem. But wouldn't this all be easier if the developer created the community with this security in place? And also, if it's in the documents that the security must be provided, then it must be provided. That's a contractual obligation. My question is, I guess for you, Kevin, do developers ever work with Platinum to develop and create their communities and, and have those security plans in place? Yeah, some do, some don't. But again, with a lot of developers, they come in, they're trying to save money. So sometimes it's not such a huge concern. Sometimes it is. So a lot of times when the board does come in, they'll usually increase it and they'll change out. But it's hit or miss with the developers. Some are, are into having a lot of security and doing the right thing, and some are out to save the money, you know? So it's kind of hit or miss when it comes to that. I would think that would be, Phil, a, a, a huge um, selling point to have a, a community with all these security bells and whistles. I think so. And I think if, if you're... Uh... A middle-aged person, you've been around the world uh, a little bit, and you know what crime can really do to you and your family. It would give me a warm and fuzzy feeling. But developers are, by the nature of the beast, in this for a profit. They're not going to put the most modern technology. They're going to put the cameras that are outdated in. They're not going to put any bells. Cameras, yes, we have motion-detected cameras. Okay, that's not exactly new technology. And in condominiums, it's even worse because it's easy to stack. Everybody's looking to save, to do as much as they can without spending as much as they can and then charging as much as they possibly can for it. If they would think past the end of their nose and at least hire a security consultant, they wouldn't build gatehouses that are so close to the access road that it's impossible to stack traffic. So you're going to have an accident that you cause because there's three cars in a line. It's not a lot of thought put into the engineering parts of the property. How many of your communities would you say request that your guards be armed in a residential community I'm talking about? Not that many. It was helpful in the dinner set issue, but most of ours aren't. And we haven't had any problems at all, either catching or detaining or working with police to identify. It, it, it has a lot to do with cost to the... The costs go up if, if, yeah, if the guards... Significantly. Okay. Most of mine don't have armed guards. I've never really dug into why that is. I assume some of it is related to potential liability. Maybe it may also be optics that people don't feel as comfortable having armed guards in the, you know, in the building. But I would say most, most of mine don't. Do you have a particular philosophy when it comes to that? My position is armed guards are lousy customer service agents. I would rather have someone because 99 and 44, 100% of the time, I'm trying to help you get to your destination, do it with a smile, get you in as fast and accurately as possible and as safe as possible. That's what they're looking for. And that's what the resident wants. And that's what the person that's accessing that place wants. The different thing that most people forget about in gated communities is everybody that we let in to help you, your service workers. 
maids, contractors, landscapers, etc. What we try to do is take the license or the identification of the people coming in, hold them. They pick them up on the way out so that we know that Bob, Fred, Ted, and Alice are all leaving. It's simple. It's a pain in the you know what to maintain the, the licenses, but it works. You know they're in and you know they're out. I was going to ask you, those are post orders. So who typically creates the post orders for a community? Is it the board? Is it the manager? Is it you? Or is it a combination of those folks? It's a combination. It's a joint effort because what we're trying to do is what they need us to do. The manager is like the city manager. He is who we report to. So he has to be part of that plan too. We do a lot of administrative work for them. Some places we check water levels in the lakes. I want to talk about that. So a lot of people think, oh, our security is here to keep us safe. But you're doing a lot of customer service stuff too, right? I mean, I've had some uh, guards, particularly during the pandemic, they were helping people. They were directing people. Some were enforcing COVID safety protocols. I have in some communities, the security is being asked to help disabled residents in and out of vehicles. Tell me a little bit about the other types of work your guards do. It's all customer service work. We don't cater to their needs. We're not concierge. If they need help, assistance, we'll provide it. We don't walk their dogs. We don't rescue their dogs. That's what animal control is for. But when we do those things, we watch as we patrol around and accomplish those tasks. So it forces us into areas sometimes that we're not normally at. Pool safety is one of, we're not lifeguards, but we make sure that at a swimming pool, no one has glass, drinking from a glass. Now, we're, we don't embarrass people. We offer them a, a sealed cup, plastic cup, and tell them about the county code or the city ordinance, et cetera, et cetera, and offer it to them. We don't humiliate anybody. And that goes a long way. You're assisting the community by keeping them safe because if there's glass in the pool, it has to be shut down till it's drained and cleaned, et cetera. I had a, a, a client where a resident's 14-year-old daughter was inebriated. She had been out at a party, had been dropped off. The guard in that case uh, alerted the, the family. They were out of town, actually, but they got you know, alerted the manager and, and they took care of the situation. But that's a situation where a quick thinking guard really helped avoid what could have been a tragedy. Were a lot of things to a lot of different people. It I'm is sure they become members of the of the community. Um, are they ever asked, are your guards ever asked to attend board or membership meetings? I mean, this may surprise you, gentlemen, but those meetings can get unruly. No, with- <laughs> we, we, we have attended a lot of board meetings. <laughs> and that's my recommendation. If they call me and I say, well, I'm not really the muscle but I recommend we get security. And if we need to, you know, escort, you know, Mr. Jones off the property because he's not allowing the board to speak or not allowing me to speak, that's what we do. Yes. And we only have to do that once or twice. Once. And then and then they tend to really settle down. We try to have a, one of our um, representatives, uh, Operations Mayor, attend all the board meetings so we know what's going on in the property. So that's also helps too, along with the key guards, stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. How did the pandemic create new challenges for your for your industry specifically? Well, it's kind of blew it up. People didn't want to work. People were afraid to work. PPEs, uh, we bought, I don't even want to tell you how many gazillions of dollars we spent on PPEs. The residents were scared to death. We set up hand cleaning stations as you walked into the building when it first hit. And we were actually using vodka because you couldn't buy any hand sanitizer. Sorry. Are you sure, Phil, that was for hand sanitizer? <laughs> oh, no. We put it right under a camera. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. It's uh, quieted down an awful lot, particularly in Florida, but it killed the industry. I think the prices now are much higher. I pulled some stats for one of my clients today. 
dishwashers in Miami, $18 an hour. Dishwashers. That's not bad. That's, That's not, not bad. bad. Well, I was going to ask you, what are the training protocols for your guards? Like when you're looking, what are your standards you use when you're hiring security guards? Is there an educational level? Is there an experience level? Where are you finding these folks? We're actually looking for the person or he or she has to be licensed, but we're looking for the right person. We do some extensive interviews. Uh, there are usually three, at least three interviews before we make a decision to hire or not. I would prefer new people that just got a license because they have no bad habits, that you can actually train them themselves. Their state requires them to go to school to get a license. We train them for another 60 to 80 hours on post, and then we cut them loose. What's that license? That they have to acquire? A security license. Class it's, D. A, it's an actual, okay. The D is unarmed. Class G is armed. Do you do the uh, personality checks that some of us had to submit to for when we were employed, either in a corporate <laughs> setting or what have you? Do you guys ever use any of those personality tests? Myers-Briggs. Yes, Myers-Briggs. Myers-Briggs, yes, we do. We use those for our armed guards because they bring an extra liability for us to the scene. do random drug tests. We do drug tests on entry and random tests. We want the best person out there representing us and protecting our clients that we can possibly get. We do criminal background checks. We don't hire anybody with a background. We really make sure that we've narrowed the field down to where we have the best person. And then we train them. And then we retrain them and retrain them. Adults learn by doing. And if you train them to do something and they don't have to do it, like deal with a water leak for three months, they've forgotten half of what, because they haven't practiced. So we practice. AEDs is an example. When they came out, everybody was trained on them, but then didn't use them. Right. So I take a recessa ante around and throw it on the floor and call it a heart attack. So they have to come, open it up, the kid up, make sure they have a scissors to cut the bra for the female or a razor to shave the chest hairs for the man, get the thing out, et cetera. And I time them. And it gives them artificial stress, et cetera. So that's how you make sure that they're as good as they can be. Oh, wow. That is, do you stock an AED in most of the guardhouses? Not only the guardhouses, almost all the clubhouses, we recommend them for every gym and we have one in our cars. You know, before the pandemic shut down our online classes at Becker, and we have since resumed in some of our offices, I had somebody come in and teach a class, an active shooting class. Mm -hmm. We've been fortunate. There has not been an active shooting incident inside a community association. Do your guards have any training to deal with, with that kind of situation? We've trained them all. And we've also invited all the management employees to the active shooter training and certified them too. What we've done is we've trained our officers how to respond, what to look for and how to respond and what to do with management. We tell our managers they should have a grab and go bag. So when the fire department and the police department come, they have as belts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The first thing we do is we shut down the elevator. I don't want the residents coming down to find out what that noise is. And I certainly don't want the shooter getting up. Yes, we do it. And we're serious about it. When I go back to the buildings to visit next week, a month, one of the valet guy or concierge or whatever said, you know what? Because we train you to be more alert in your surroundings, whether you're at the mall, food court, movies, etc. We always tell them, know where you're at, back to the wall, eyes at the crowd, know your surroundings. And I said, you're in charge of your family. That guy came in and says, you know, I've really started practicing that. 
What does it say about me that I used? I must be paranoid. I would, I would always with my kids, even yeah. on an airplane, count the rows to get out of this plane. Yes, you're, you're, it, no, you're a good mother. <laughs> well, thank you. I always, in a movie theater for me. I always well it may also be because you know the DiMaggio Sicilian. It might be that I don't know, yeah. but I always was looking for exits. Always thinking. Oh, about I know where that. they're at. Exactly. Know, your know your surroundings. You yep. always got to know your way out, know where the door is, know where the exit is. <laughs> I always ask my wife when we're driving on the turnpike, where are we at? On the turnpike. <laughs> we're on the turnpike. <laughs> and the reason why I say that, and part of this crime prevention thing we talk about is personal safety too. We tell everybody, every car that you own should have a glass breaker over the sun visor so that if you go into a canal, because we're in a city of canal or a county of canals, you can get out. And I listened to a 23-minute tape of a 911 call of a woman drowning because she didn't know where she was on the turnpike and nobody could find her. That's terrible. So if you take anything away from this podcast, start being aware of your surroundings. Absolutely. But you don't have to be paranoid. It doesn't have to impact you terribly. Just know where you are at any given time. I'll give you two more. Two-way mirrors. Do you know how you test a two-way mirror? No, that Very I don't easy. know. Very easy to do. Every woman Every child should know how to do this. When you put your finger up against the mirror, if there's no space, leave that place. Somebody's recording. Put your finger up against the mirror. If there's no space, leave that place. Very good. I'm going to tell that to my daughter. That's exactly right. People are worried about panhandlers, and it's a product of where we live. If you're worried about panhandlers, and I taught my wife this and my my daughter this, pull up, leave two car lengths between you and the guy that's coming. As soon as he comes to you, pull forward. He's not going to go to come back to you. He's going to go to the next car. It just avoids the uncomfortableness of the confrontation. And there's some, it's just common sense. So speaking of common sense or lack thereof, not everybody in the community is nice. Okay. Not everybody conducts himself or herself in, in a civilized manner. So what do you train your guards to do if they're confronted with an unruly guest or resident? And we do get them. Yeah, I'm and sure for you some do. Reason, you could pull up to a toll booth and be the 50th car in line and wait an hour. But if you're the third in line at a guarded gate and it takes you three minutes to get in, you're upset. We tell our officers never, ever, ever allow yourself to go down to their level. You kill them with kindness. It's the old parent-child uh, communication thing. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Etc. Process them as quickly as possible, but properly and send them on their way. You didn't cause the traffic jam. You processed the cars quickly. We're going to wrap up here, but a couple of last questions. First, do you have any Mission Impossible cool tech on the horizon for security services? A lot of people are doing the, the biometrics for, for high rises. I, I don't like them because it's tough to get new guards in because you have to go through the biometrics. So if you have somebody comes in for an emergency, I understand why they do it, but you can't pass around a file. The people that live there are their own worst enemy. Rules belong to everybody else, not me. And that's the wrong attitude. If I had a nickel for every stone we've taken out of a door, propped the door open so I could get back in an entrance I shouldn't be allowed to get in, I'd be a millionaire. Well, also with those with the gates where you don't have a man gate, but you just touched on it. You may have the fob or the remote. How often should communities are they are they following up when people sell are, or people taking these these devices with them and then they can get back into the community? I'm a firm believer in charging a nice deposit on all fobs, refundable deposit. Just, you know, it's crazy. And we've had that that cars that no longer belong to the resident have tried to come back to the community with the uh, barcode. 
So again, it gets it gets us back to what we were talking about earlier, which is responsibility flows in both directions. So the boards, yes. the residents, they have a responsibility to also contribute to their safety. So they're part of the solution, yeah, not absolutely. part of the, they shouldn't be part of the problem. They should be part of the solution. And it really is a community. Some people shouldn't be in shared communities. Phil, I've said that for a long time. Sometimes we've got people living in a multifamily building and they really should be in the type of community you, you discussed earlier, which is on acreage or away yeah. from their nearest neighbor. Can't but unfortunately, Unfortunately, they find themselves living in very densely occupied areas and problems result. They can't get along with themselves, let alone their neighbors. Well, we also have a lot of mental health problems. So, you know, I say this when I teach my board cert class, the experts say something like 10% of the adult population has some form of mental illness and every all my board members start doing the math with the number of people living in their community. But a lot of this is also born out of mental health issues, which as an association attorney, that's one of the hardest problems for us to solve. Because I could send a demand letter saying, stop doing this. But if somebody's having a mental health crisis, getting a legal demand letter is not going to make them stop doing what they're doing. You're right. But I, I think that the situations that we're in most of, I've particularly at a guard gate, if somebody comes in and they're steamed about something else and you yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, them, and you provide that service and you let me process you in, as soon as I can and get you on your way, ma'am, et cetera, you take the wind out of their sail. If you don't talk to them, you just take their license and you go and, and process them. You've just cut, you've participated in the cutoff. Yeah, your your mouth is your best weapon. Yeah, absolutely, all situations. You're talking. Yeah, you've diffused the situation, mm-hmm. but that requires what you've been saying all along: the right person yeah. in the right role with the right training. Yes, mm-hmm. and the right pay. You got to yeah. pay for talent, right? Yeah, these, a lot of these communities expect a, a Navy SEAL for twelve dollars an hour. <laughs> so, you know, it, get, it gets troublesome. <laughs> Realistic expectations. So, Kevin, I I did troll your Instagram page. Yeah. Okay, and I, I saw some. Some recognizable faces, Ava yeah. Mendez, yeah, yeah, we've got yeah. Rebecca Fox, we've got yeah. 50 Cent. How, is that how you got into the yeah, security? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I got into the security industry. I moved down here at a young age and moved from New Jersey. My grandfather had a security company, as you mentioned earlier. I kind of didn't go into it for that reason, but I got down here and I always had security in mind. I wanted to do it. So I was, when I was in college, I worked in a lot of nightclubs. I was a criminal justice major and I was working in nightclubs. I was like, wow, this is pretty fun. I like this. How can I make some money out of this? You know, I started a company. I was doing nightclubs and events. And at one time I had almost a hundred nightclubs in Florida. It just, it spiraled out of control. So that was in my early twenties. But then I realized quick that this isn't where I want to go to the future because I realized with security and uh, the liability and people getting hurt and all this nonsense. And I graduated school. So I was like, I kind of done with this. So I put a good team around me and started to build platinum. But in the meantime, right after that, I started doing personal protection and, and it wound up that I I linked up with a few top people and I was doing celebrities. I did a lot of celebrities. I've, I've been on tour. I was on the road for months and years at a time. And I built up a, a lot of clients over the years doing that. So I have to ask you, who's more difficult to deal with, your celebrities or condo boards? <laughs> it, it could go <laughs> Who's more what? diva-ish? <laughs> it, could, it could go, you know, I've worked, listen, Eva Mendez, very <laughs> sweet woman. And believe it or not, 50 Cent, very nice guy. Yeah, you could go hit or miss. But then I worked for <laughs> Sean P. Diddy Combs. He was a little bit of a, a, a nightmare. So, I mean, it could go either way with a board or, or a celebrity. But it's definitely interesting, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's an interesting transition. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. I want to thank you both for being on Take It to the Board. The information you've provided was really eye-opening today. And I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to follow and rate us on your favorite podcast platform or visit TakeItToTheBoard.com for more ways to connect.